I'm Monse Alvarado. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, high stakes terrorist group Hezbollah threatens to escalate the war as Israel rules out a chance of ceasefire. We have reaction. Budget battle. The House reviews the president's foreign aid package. Why funds to Ukraine might be in danger. Strengthening ties. Australia's prime minister prepares for his first visit to China in seven years in an effort of friendship. And humble laborers. Pope Benedict's reminder from the past helps Pope Francis make an important point about our future. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. Martin de Porres. I'm Monse Alvarado in for Tracy Sable. Our top story tonight. The conflict in the Middle East, where there are new concerns, the war could get wider. The Secretary of State is back in the region trying to keep the war contained. But the Israeli Prime Minister rebuffed the U.S. call for more humanitarian aid to be allowed in Gaza. Meanwhile... Meanwhile, Israeli airstrikes have not let up. Hospitals are inundated with injured Palestinians. This as the military appears to have expanded its ground invasion into the Gaza Strip. In Lebanon, crowds cheered the appearance of Hezbollah's leader. The Iran-backed group is both a Shia Muslim political party and militant group. Today's speech by Hassan Nasrallah marked the first public remarks since the war began. Let's go live to Jerusalem. Sorry, let's go live to Jerusalem, where AP journalist Sam Mednick is standing by. Sam. Thank you for being with us. The Israeli military is moving deeper and deeper into Gaza. What can you tell us about their advance? Israel's military has fully encircled the city of Gaza. This is where Israel says is Hamas's epicenter of operations. It's where they have their key infrastructure. The military said that their troops are now engaged in face-to-face -face combat. When it needs it, it calls on airstrikes as well as shelling for support. Videos shown by Israel's military, you can see troops and tanks going through grasslands, heading towards what appear to be bombed-out buildings. But Israel has said that it has taken a toll. There are approximately two dozen soldiers who have been killed since the beginning of this offensive. Hamas, in the meantime, says that it is striking back. It said on Friday that it killed several Israeli soldiers and damaged some of its tanks and other infrastructures. Hamas has also accused Israel of striking the entrance of three hospitals in Gaza City. One of the hospitals, the Al-Shifa Hospital, Hamas says that it struck an ambulance while staff were taking patients to that ambulance and other cars to go to the Al-Rafah crossing and to go into Egypt. Israel, however, says that Hamas uses these hospitals as well as other buildings for its operations and that it uses the civilians as human shields. Now let's talk about those casualties. What about the humanitarian situation in Gaza? The humanitarian situation is catastrophic. The Ministry of Health, which is run by Hamas, said that more than 9,000 people have been killed since the beginning of the conflict. More than a million and a half people have been internally displaced. And that there are currently hundreds of thousands of people still sheltering in the north where these the biggest activities are taking place. And they haven't moved to the south, even though Israel has told them to get there. 
aid workers say that it's harder and harder to get assistance into the north of the country, and it's getting harder for people to leave. The United Nations said that four, in recent days, four of its schools, which had turned into shelters, were hit by strikes, and it killed 24 people. People say they're running out of food, they're running out of water, and they're running out of fuel, which is critical to power generators and for medical staff to be able to operate on the injured. Now, you're there in the region. The Hezbollah leader made his first public remarks since the Hamas strike on Israel. What did he say? Right. These were Hassan Nasrallah's first public remarks since the war began. He said that his militias were engaged in unprecedented cross-border fighting with Israel and Lebanon. Well, he, he said that the situation could escalate, but he refrained from saying that his troops were going to become fully engaged. However, he did say that the fighting might not remain exactly as it is now. Let's take a listen to what he had to say. Fear of the possibility that this front could escalate or go into full war, or that this front could lead to a wider war. It is a realistic possibility and it may happen. The enemy must do its calculations and they are working on it and they are talking about it. Since the beginning of the war, there has been continuous daily shelling between Lebanon and Israel. However, for the most part, they have kept it under control. But Nasrallah's remarks came a day after the most significant escalation in these attacks. For Israel, Hezbollah is its biggest threat. They say they have about 150,000 missiles and rockets aiming directly at it. I spoke to an analyst from the International Crisis Group. He said that he doesn't think Nasrallah wants to escalate the attacks. However, as the area of operation expands along this northern border with Lebanon, more civilians could be killed, which Nasrallah has hinted could it mean an escalation in the violence. Well, Sam, we'll keep monitoring this. Please stay safe. That's Sam Mednick live in Jerusalem. Thank you. Here to help us take a closer look at Hezbollah and their involvement in this conflict is Claire Lopez, founder and president of Lopez Liberty LLC and a specialist on Middle East terrorism. Thank you so much for being with us. Hassan Nasrallah said further escalation on the Lebanese front is a real possibility. How concerning is that? Well, I subjected myself this morning to listening to Hassan Nasrallah, Secretary General of Hezbollah, and uh, he shrieked hysterically for well over an hour. And I came away with, with basically two takeaways. Number one, he appeared to be reciting from uh, an Iranian script that he probably received from Tehran when he tried over and over again multiple times to make the point that Hezbollah and Iran had absolutely nothing to do with the Sabbath massacre, as we're calling the events of uh, the jihad attacks of 7 October. Um, and then secondly, uh, the takeaway for me was uh, his uh, impression that he left, that Nasrallah left, um, that while other uh, elements of what they would call the Muqawama, the, the Islamic resistance, like the Houthis, like the Iraqi Hashtashabi, uh, are mounting attacks against Americans and, and shooting off uh, missiles and rockets. Um, uh, the uh, the forces of Hezbollah themselves wish Hamas well, but hey, Hamas, you're on your own. Well, that definitely is the fear is the escalation. If Hezbollah enters the war, how does that change the current conflict? Well, the first thing I would say is that it very well could be that, that Hassan Nasrallah is trying to mislead us with the thrust of, of this uh, speech today as, as I laid it out. That's a possibility. 
were Hezbollah to to engage uh, in the fray more more completely, um, it would be a game changer. Now, the Israeli armed forces have positioned thousands of reservists and troops of the IDF up on their northern border with Lebanon and are ready. They're not going to be taken by surprise if anything more uh, occurs on the northern border than already has right now. Um, but they are ready for that should it occur. But it seems to me and others that I've, I've been listening to that Iran really wants to hold Hezbollah back because Hezbollah is their major force. It's, it's their number one force for opposing Israel when the time comes, and that time will come, when Israel must take action against Iran's nuclear weapons. Well, Claire, really quickly, what does the war in the Middle East mean for the U.S.? More terrorist attacks? Certainly we are seeing uh, our forces in the Middle East being attacked in places like Iraq and what they used to call Syria. They have been under attack. The United States has brought more forces to the region to reinforce them, in addition to two uh, USS carrier strike groups and the 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit positioned right now in the Red Sea, which are together uh, intercepting rockets and projectiles being uh, flown towards Israel out of Yemen by the Houthis, an Iranian uh, terror proxy. Um, and so uh, we uh, also should be aware that in the United States itself, with our wide open borders of the last couple of years, the Department of Defense airlift out of Kabul, Afghanistan more than two years ago, um, it is more than likely that our Islamic jihadi enemies already are in the United States organizing, uh, and we need to be aware of that. Director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, speaking yesterday, made this this very same point. But what really seemed terrifying to me was his concluding remark that, no, he said, the FBI is not tracking any foreign terrorist organizations or cells right now. Well, it's certainly something we'll be tracking carefully. Claire, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insights. Thank you. As we mentioned at the top of the show, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is urging both sides to protect civilians. He's also pushing for a temporary pause in the fighting. But Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says he won't stop Israel's military offensive until Hamas frees its hostages. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen? Monsi, President Joe Biden's top diplomat reiterated today that Israel has every right to defend itself and that another October 7th cannot happen again. Secretary Blinken also told reporters in Tel Aviv more humanitarian assistance needs to get in and faster. As for U.S. citizens still in Gaza, I asked President Biden about that earlier today. On the south lawn of the White House, where world leaders gathered for a group photo, I had this brief exchange with President Joe Biden. President Biden, your message to Americans trying to get out of Gaza right now, who are still trapped there. Can you contain the Mideast war? Do you have a camera? We do. Want to talk? We can talk. Love to sit down with you. While the president did not further engage with me, overseas, the president's top diplomat did address reporters. Secretary of State Antony Blinken spoke in Israel about the need to prevent escalation following the Hamas terror attack. 35 Americans were murdered that day as well, and more than 200 foreign nationals. 
Blinken also said it was critical to restore the path toward a two-state solution and emphasize the need to forge a very different future for Israelis and Palestinians alike. That out of this tragedy emerges a better tomorrow for both peoples and for the region. He adds how Israel conducts its campaign against Hamas matters. We need to do more to protect Palestinian civilians. And back at the White House. Twelve countries committing to drive innovative approaches to shared challenges. President Biden sits down with leaders from across the Americas to discuss key issues like the economy and immigration. Enforcing our immigration laws in humane and effective ways that deters, that deters dangerous, irregular migration and disrupts traffickers. Now back to Secretary Blinken's trip to the Middle East. He described viewing more of that video from the horrific and horrendous October 7th massacre by Hamas and was shocked at how quickly memories of the slaughter fade in some parts of the world. He also said he was shaken by images of dead and wounded Palestinian children in Gaza. Monsi? Thank you so much, Owen. We have a lot more still to come on EWTN News Nightly, including the Consoler in Chief. The President and First Lady travel to Maine to join mourners following last week's deadly shooting. And divided attention. House Republicans battle over foreign aid for two war-torn countries. Protesters speaking out against the war in Gaza and calling for an immediate ceasefire between Israel and Hamas occupied the office of Senator Bernie Sanders today. According to the activist group, the independent senator from Vermont denied to speak with protesters. Several were arrested by Capitol Police. Meanwhile, over in the U.S. House, a big win for new Speaker Mike Johnson. Lawmakers passed $14 billion in military aid for Israel. The victory may be short-lived. The bill leaves out money for Ukraine and is far short of President Biden's more than $100 billion comprehensive aid package that he and many lawmakers support. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales has the latest. Good evening. There were lots of smiles around House Speaker Mike Johnson and his leadership team as they held their first news conference since his election last week. The Speaker defended the Israel-only aid bill and his decision to cut IRS funding to pay for it. If Democrats in the Senate or the House or anywhere else, where else want to argue that hiring more IRS agents is more important than standing with Israel in this moment, I'm ready to have that debate. Some Senate lawmakers agree. What about some ideas of, of using the IRS, taking some money away from the IRS? Uh, yeah, look, I think all this stuff should be on the table when you start talking about paid force. Any kind of new spending should be offset by taking the money elsewhere in the budget, and that's what Speaker Johnson's doing. This is the conservative position. But the House bill is drawing fire from Senate Democrats. They want to link Israel and Ukraine aid together and don't want to cut IRS funding. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer declared it dead on arrival. House Republicans released a partisan and woefully inadequate package with no aid to Ukraine, no humanitarian assistance for Gaza, no funding for Indo-Pacific, and poison pills that help wealthy tax cheats avoid paying their fair share. We have to meet this moment with one robust package. We can't just do half of our job here. Because while the challenges we and our partners face across the globe are distinct, they are connected 
and they are urgent. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, who just returned from Israel, agrees. Helping Israel's absolutely in our national security interests that are the best friend we have in the region. Stopping Putin in Ukraine so he doesn't go further is in our national security interest. Securing our border is our national security interest. So, in my view, they need to be together because the conflicts all present a threat to us. So what's next in the Republican-controlled House? Uh, Ukraine will, will come in short order. It will come next. And you've heard me say that uh, we want to uh, pair border security with Ukraine because I think we could get bipartisan agreement on both of those matters. A group of GOP senators led by James Langford of Oklahoma is crafting a border proposal that includes significant policy changes, which Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says is a non-starter. But Senator Langford tells me the plan, which could be released as soon as next week, could get Democrat support. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN, News Nightly. Russia and Ukraine are building up ammunition stockpiles in preparation for military offensives in 2024. Experts say the coming wet, muddy and cold weather likely will frustrate both sides' efforts to advance on the battlefield. The planned delivery of F-16 jets to Ukraine early next year will improve the country's military might. The president and first lady are in Maine to meet with families and victims of the Lewiston, Maine shooting. As we gather here today, we know your hearts are broken, because, uh, but we also know your spirits are strong. The way this community has come together, the way this state has come together, has been a marvel to the rest of the country. The president has committed to utilizing the resources of the federal government to help those affected in Lewiston. Last week's shooting was the deadliest in Maine's history. The nation's employers slowed their hiring in October, and there are signs the labor market may be cooling off. Numbers released today showed 150,000 jobs were added last month, a modest gain amid the high interest rates that have made borrowing money much more costly for businesses and families. In September, nearly 300,000 jobs were added. In a statement, President Joe Biden said, in part, quote, the economy has created 14 million jobs since I took office. Republicans in Congress should join me in growing the economy and reducing inflation. China's foreign ministry is welcoming Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's upcoming visit. The Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson says the visit will be of great significance in carrying forward the past and opening up the future. Albanese will be the first Australian Prime Minister to visit China in seven years. He is scheduled to arrive on Saturday. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, classes in the occult? People really don't understand what they're really getting into, and it's dangerous stuff. A college in the United Kingdom is offering classes in magic and witchcraft. Plus, standing for peace. Cardinal Timothy Dolan shares his take on the rise in anti-Semitism in the U.S. since the war in the Middle East began. Pope Francis celebrated Mass today for deceased cardinals and bishops and Pope Benedict XVI. The 
The Mass is held every year at the Vatican during the week of All Souls Day. The Holy Father called on the faithful to follow the example of Pope Benedict XVI and be the humble servants of others. A university in the United Kingdom is set to offer a graduate degree in magic and the occult. Starting next fall, the University of Exeter is offering the grad school courses. They're believed to be the first of their kind in the study of the occult. A priest and exorcist in the Archdiocese of Washington says these topics are, quote, dangerous stuff. Earlier this week, our own Tracy Sable caught up with that priest, Monsignor Stephen Rossetti. And Monsignor Stephen Rossetti joins us now. Monsignor Rossetti, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate this. Um, one of the professors uh, of this school was recently interviewed by National Public Radio, and, and they were kind of joking about comparing this program to Harry Potter and his school of Hogwarts. Um, I know to you, this is no laughing matter. Tell us why. Well, for example, you, we all remember that movie, The Exorcist, in the, in the 70s. That was based on a real case. And we have the notes of the Jesuits who did the exorcism. And the, the young man, the 12-year-old boy, it was a boy, not a girl, who got possessed, was using a Ouija board for months and got possessed, and not surprisingly. And it was a very ugly case, but he was liberated, thanks be to God. But that's the sort of example. And I get people uh, all the time who come to me who used to be into witchcraft, whatever, and their lives uh, were awful, and they got possessed and now they need help. Yeah, what do you think is drawing people into it? Well, when I've talked to a number of people who have been into witchcraft, whatever, and they say typically you, you want to take charge or control your own life. You want to uh, get what you want. I want uh, uh, love, uh, money, uh, good fortune, a job, whatever. So you take control over your life. Uh, you think you do, you are, you are, you, you get what you want and it seems like a, a good quick fix. And, and as one former uh, witch told me, it's kind of a power trip. Uh, but unfortunately, that is not uh, Christianity. We say, what What all the saints say? You know, the saints say, I come to do God's will. So we try to discern what the Lord has in mind for us, which is because the Lord's, you know, omnipotent and omniscient. So he knows everything and knows what's best for us. When you go down the dark path of witchcraft, you start going into a dark path, and eventually, you know, you you, you find yourself in Satan's uh, arms, and that is a very dark reality. Yeah. It, speaking of witches, too, uh, the New York Times reports that the University of Exeter is near the site in the 17th century where three women were hanged for mm. practicing witchcraft. Um, do you think there's a connection, you know, to that, to this course? And also, does this location give you any cause for concern? Well, I, I, uh, I'm pretty uh, cautious about uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but wherever you are, when you start, and uh, one a former uh, uh, witch told me, he was doing the occult for 27 years, he says, what they don't realize is whenever you cast a spell, any sort of spell, whether black or white, uh, you're, you're making a contract with Satan. So you're inviting Satan in, whether you realize it or not, or intended it or not, and uh, which is a very a dangerous thing. I actually think that I have this prediction, by the way, uh, Tracy. I'm thinking that in a few years, they're going to shut the program down. And why? Because some students are going to have a bad reaction. They're going to have some ugly things happen, and the, the university is going to say, you know, we want to stay away from that. 
And who knows? They might even sue the university. They might say, you led me into this witchcraft, occult stuff. You didn't warn me how dangerous it could be. And, and, and look what happened to my life. Yeah. And we definitely need to give them their prayers that that, you know, program ends and, and hoping these programs don't come over here in the United States either. Well, it's, it's, it's ubiquitous. Uh, there's so much uh, witchcraft being practiced today. You know, I mean, uh, with the Harry Potter movies and whatever, I mean, not, that's, you know, entertainment, but but it gives you the impression that, you know, witchcraft is, is a good thing. And it's just it's just not. You know, and um, and that's what we're missing today. Some good catechesis. I I think the bishops conference should really come out more strongly and teach about this. It's in the catechism, of course. And the and the and the Bible calls witchcraft and, and mediums and all that stuff an abomination. It's a very serious sin, uh, sin against the first commandment. And that's why people have been involved in witchcraft voluntarily are very hard to exercise. You can do it, but they're they're very difficult, uh, tough demons to get rid of because it's such an evil sin. Yeah, it's not a game. Monsignor Rossetti, thank you so much for coming on. Always appreciate it. God bless you, Tracy, and all, all my friends there at EWTN. And finally tonight, Cardinal Timothy Dolan is calling for people of goodwill to stand courageously for peace. In a statement regarding recent religious attacks, Cardinal Dolan said in part, quote, In the face of such base hatred, we must affirm certain fundamental truths. Hating your neighbors is a grave sin against God, who created us all in his image and likeness. Violence only begets more violence, not justice. We thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Monse Alvarado. Good night and God bless.